Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for the kind introduction, Andy. Uh, wow. Uh, I just uh, got back from a golf trip, Mike Johnson, and uh, if you've been to the airport in Nashville lately, you know that that is a disaster happening <laughs> with all the construction and trying to get out of there. So it took about an hour and a half to get picked up last night, and thank goodness I didn't ask my wife because I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> Um, I must profess I am a Christian, and every single day I hope to work uh, to please uh, God and follow His direction. So if you'll join me just for a moment of quick prayer before I start telling my story. So Father, give us each the wisdom to use the talents you have given us to glorify you and to help each other every single day. Amen. If there's one verse in the Bible I think that uh, characterizes my life, I think it's Proverbs 16.9. Anybody know it? Well, here's Proverbs 16.9. The mind of a man, plan the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Another one that rings true to my heart is 1 Peter 4.10, which says that each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So I think that encapsulates who I am and what I feel God is directing me to do. You know, I am grateful that at an early age, about 10 years old, I told my parents, I said, I'm going to be a doctor. Well, I didn't know what that meant, but... I always, well, I really didn't, <laughs> but I always had that carrot hanging out in front of me that I was going to achieve being a, a physician. And I'm so blessed to be able to use those God-given talents uh, to be a physician, be an orthopedic surgeon, be a hand surgeon, uh, and serve those that are underserved in our communities and also those underserved throughout the world. A question that you probably would like to ask me is, how did a nice guy like you get into politics? <laughs> uh, I think that's fair game because <laughs> uh, I'm an accidental politician, to be honest with you. Uh, what happened was I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. <clears throat> I was president of the Tennessee Medical Association, of the Tennessee Orthopedic Society, and the lobbyist for the Tennessee Medical Association calls me and he says, we have three scope of practice bills that you need to come help us on. And he told me what one of them was, and I, I must confess, I kind of said a dirty word and said, no, they're not going to do that. But he said, what's your fallback position? Which was a huge lesson for me about politics immediately. So those three scope of practices bills in the Tennessee General Assembly kind of introduced me uh, into uh, the world of health policy and politics. And so I actually worked with two, one session of the Tennessee General Assembly, two years, to craft those bills that not only were acceptable to orthopedic surgeons, but also to those particular scope of practice. The second thing that happened in my life was I got a call from a family friend, Lamar Alexander. And Lamar says, 
I want you to help raise money from doctors. I don't know. We have any doctors here this morning? Well, doctors are not typically noted for the large amount of money they do to political campaigns. I'm sorry. Uh, and that's because of doctors are so independent with you know thinkers, thinkers and so on. But I was able to corral a bunch of doctors into donating and supporting Lamar Alexander in his run for president, uh, and uh, a great friendship developed there. And then some other political races, like Bill Frisk called me when he was running for the Senate, and I helped uh, him as a regional director. But back there where Mike Johnson was sitting, one morning in 2007, I was sitting down here having breakfast, uh, just expecting to have another great day. And uh, my friend says, they're having an alderman race in Franklin. Well, how do you spell that? Um, so I, he said, you ought to run for alderman. I said, okay, I think I will. You know, how many of you have ever had that impulse to just immediately respond and say yes? Well, and, and it was wrong, right? <laughs> well, I come to find out there are 14 people running for four positions for alderman at large. And uh, so I worked really, really hard and got elected in 2007. Uh, to become uh, alderman at large. Um, unbeknownst to me, I'm vice mayor in 2011, and the mayor calls me and he says, and this is John Schroer, if you know John. Ken, I've got some news for you. You're vice mayor, and I'm going to resign and become commissioner of Tennessee Department of Transportation. So next week, we're going to swear you in as mayor. <laughs> accidental politician again. <laughs> and I go back to that verse in Proverbs again that says the man of man the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I think that's what God did for me there. How many retirees do we have? Wow. Well welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm retired too, <laughs> but I happen to get a job that takes full time. So I, I actually retired in 2004, and I always wanted to say that I retired at the peak of my ability as a physician, and that I really had some plans maybe to do a health policy fellowship in Washington and develop another career. Uh, I planned and I planned and applied and had all these assurances that was going to work out for me. And it didn't. So for a year, I played golf. How many golfers we have? Addicts? Uh, <clears throat> that wasn't for me. Uh, I enjoy golf, uh, but uh, playing every single day was not my future, I didn't think. So I was kind of questioning what my next steps in life would be. And I had a call from a friend, uh, a fellow orthopedic surgeon, uh, who um, uh, was part of the Orthopedic Overseas Program. This program uh, is orthopedic surgeons from all over the countries go to all these different places all over the world. And there's always an orthopedic surgeon in these places teaching either orthopedic surgeons or physician's assistants or running an orthopedic service. 
So he said, Ken, would you like to go to Bhutan? And who knows what my answer was? <laughs> well, it wasn't yes. I said, where is Bhutan? <laughs> well, Bhutan is a tiny country uh, located between China and India, and it's in the Himalayan mountains. And I, was, I had the opportunity to spend about six weeks in Asia teaching uh, 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 orthopedic physicians assistants and helping run the uh, orthopedic service there in uh, uh, Timpu, which is the capital of uh, Bhutan. And I could tell you a lot of interesting stories that happened there from my friend Colonel Cotto, who uh, ferried me around the country. He, he had royal blood, and he was the bodyguard to the uh, princesses. And he's also not a typical Bhutanese. He was about this tall. And he's the only guy in the uh, Bhutanese military that had one of these, you know. Um, I could tell you about an archery match where the governor of Boomtang, uh, I was hosted by him. Uh, I could tell you about the winding roads. I could tell you about having dinner with a Rinpoche. Who knows what a Rinpoche is? A Rinpoche is a Buddhist who thinks that he's a reincarnated monk. And so I asked this Rinpoche, I said, um, how do you know you're a Rinpoche and, uh, or a reincarnated monk? And he said, well, when I was a young boy, he was like five or six, he had this precocious knowledge of this particular monk. And so they sent him to the monastery and he became a, a Rinpoche. But the story that, one of the stories that's really stuck in my mind was an Italian lady that was married to the finance minister in Bhutan. She was raised Catholic. Uh, she came from Rome. I don't know where they met, but uh, it came a time whenever she wanted to take her children and have the Pope bless her children, and she was pretty anxious about it, she told me. And so she went to her husband, who's a Buddhist, and said, I'd like to take the children to Rome and have them blessed. And her husband said, you can never have too many prayers and too many blessings, which was a great lesson to me on the philosophy of, of the Buddhist people there who are happy and kind. The strangest thing about this country, that country, is that the king at that time uh, said, no more tobacco. There was no more tobacco in Bhutan. And what's even more amazing, he said, I'm declaring a national state of happiness. And so everybody's happy. And so this morning in Franklin, Tennessee, I'm declaring a national state of happiness. Thank you. And again, I go back to that verse that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In 2000... The next year, I ended up uh, going to uh, Ethiopia. And my job there, I had 12 orthopedic residents in uh, Addis Ababa at the Black Lion Hospital that I was responsible for uh, teaching them for a month. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you, anybody ever been to Ethiopia? If you ever get an opportunity to go, it's an amazing country, never been conquered. Uh, the Italians thought they could conquer it and build all the roads in Ethiopia, 
and then they ran them out with spears. And they have a rich history, religious history, both of Judaism and also of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Uh, so just an amazing history. They think they have the Ark of the Covenant. And the first time I heard that, I said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Read about it, and I think you'll be amazed that maybe they might. It may just be a piece of it, who knows. But they have a particular chapel that's dedicated to housing the Ark of the Covenant and a priest, that's his lifelong duty, is to guard that chapel where he is. And when he's going to die, he appoints the next guy that, that does that. I had a lot of wonderful experiences there, seeing the country and learning their history. Uh, just the medical experience was over the top as far as the type of diseases I was seeing and these bright young guys that were trying to be orthopedic surgeons, uh, training them and talking to them. But there's one story that's always stuck in my mind, it was an elderly man, and when I first met him, I came into the room to look at him and he was leaned over and he had so much pain in his face. And I, I found out that this man had been in the clinic like three or four months earlier, been diagnosed with a malignant tumor in his shoulder, and that the locals has raised a lot of money so he could get some very expensive treatment uh, to cure his cancer or to palliate the cancer and so on. This man just vanished, went away. The money was gone, he was gone, but here he was back. His story was, is that he took the money, went back to his rural village and gave it to those people so that they could have a better life. So again, I go back to that verse, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his footsteps. A more current story about what I'm doing is the Shalom Foundation. Not Salome, this is Shalom Foundation that's in Guatemala. Uh, a friend of mine, I was introduced to him at a Christmas breakfast. He wanted to talk to me about what he was doing in Guatemala. I wanted to talk to him about Ethiopia and Bhutan and medical things. This guy is the strangest guy in the world to be involved with some kind of medical mission, period. In fact, uh, uh, it all started, he, his, he felt a tug in his church. His preacher said, we're going to Ethiopia, we're gonna build homes, and Steve heard it a couple of times, and uh, so all of a sudden he's down at the altar and he's going to, Ethiopia, I mean, to Guatemala to build block homes in Zone 15, which is the most dangerous outer area of Guatemala City. After a few years, he's down there. A lady brings a child up to him. This child has crutches, can't walk. The, the lady tells the story that there was a gang war or a gang fight. The child was held up, shot, taken to the hospital, had this big long incision, still couldn't walk. Well, come to find out it was not the correct diagnosis, number two, and number one, and number two, she had a bullet in her hip. 
This is one of those stories that will bring tears to your eyes. They brought her to America. Um, she had the bullet removed from her hip. She ends up working at the Shalom Foundation Hospital in Guatemala City. And today, coming from the poorest, most dangerous section of Guatemala City, she's in law school now. I mean, just blows me away. Um, my friend is a brilliant guy. He comes from the music industry. His knowledge of medicine is less than a grain of salt. He's hooked up with some uh, medical folks at Vanderbilt who own a lot of property in Guatemala, and they're going back and forth to Guatemala every year uh, to do surgeries. And Steve says, let me help you. So Steve helps them um, uh, at what we call the Pediatric Foundation Hospital. Sounds good, doesn't it? And so they have this expensive piece of equipment. Well, they come in the next day and that expensive piece of equipment is gone. So Steve is a little hot-headed, and Steve would agree, uh, says, well, I'm going to buy a hospital. He gets on the internet, finds the first hospital that was built by a Mayan physician in Guatemala, almost immediately reaches a deal, but it takes two years to consummate the deal and takes a couple of more years to renovate this particular hospital to American standards. He goes to see Milton Johnson. Anybody know Milton? Milton was the head of HCA, uh, and he's talking to Milton about maybe some help and equipment and things. And he says, yeah, we built a hospital in Guatemala City. And Milton looks at him and he says, you did what? So, I mean, this is one of those impossible things that, you know, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. As Mayor of Franklin, I've got a lot of opportunities to uh, influence certain policies and things and on your table this morning uh, is Find Hope Franklin. Uh, Find Hope Franklin came out of a plan for a healthier community. Governor Haslam declared Franklin is one of the nine healthiest communities in the state of Tennessee and we had to do a lot of things to do that. We had to develop a plan and our plan included uh, tobacco cessation activity, uh, stopping obesity and mental health. We did really good on the first three. Nobody wanted to talk about mental health. Nobody wanted to talk about their cousin that was a drug addict or their uh, relative that committed suicide. So we came together as a group of uh, healthcare professionals, clergy, laymen, PR folks, and, and talked about how we could address mental health in our community. And out of that came Find Hope Franklin. First, we wanted to elevate the conversation about mental health. It's okay to talk about it. It's a disease just as much as diabetes or any of those other things that you know about. Secondly, our community has a high suicide rate. Yeah, good old Franklin, good old Williamson County. We've got a high suicide rate in our community. So we wanted to raise awareness of suicide prevention, which is called Question, Persuade, Refer, QPR. It's a one-hour course. It, 
it teaches you what questions to ask whenever somebody says, well, I won't be around tomorrow. Or, you know, here, take this. I won't need it anymore. How do you ask those questions? And then how do you use your knowledge to then send that person to the right place, place uh, to get appropriate treatment? So we've trained nine trainers through a grant through Vanderbilt, and we continue to work on additional grants to continue to train our community. We also have an issue as far as if somebody's having a mental health crisis. Typically, they go to one or two locations. Jail, if they've committed a crime. Hospital, emergency room. Back of a police car for both of them. Not the best place for a mental health crisis. So we're working to try to establish a crisis stabilization unit like other communities have, where people can be taken there immediately and get into a continuum of care, whether it's some major psychiatric diagnosis, whether it's uh, some type of substance use disorder, that they would then get into a continuum of care. So the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Finally, let me tell you a story about Unite Williamson. My friend Dr. Kenneth Hill called me after the shooting of uh, Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston. Those, some of those people that died were his friends, you know, AME Church, Charleston, South Carolina. And we both talked about how would Franklin respond in a moment of crisis like that. That city, Charleston, South Carolina, immediately forgave the shooter. Well, I'm sorry, I couldn't get there that quick. But what kind of community are we? How do we even know our neighbors in this community? People that dress differently than us have different skin cover, color, maybe have a little accent. So he and I came together and uh, formed a group called Unite Williamson, which has a prayer breakfast every fall. The past two years, it's been virtual. Um, the second year we had it, we had the uh, pastor from Mother Emanuel AME Church, which was powerful for him to talk about his church. We're now looking at having another event this fall. I have to tell you a story about one of the speakers. We usually try to have, it's, it's an interfaith prayer breakfast. So you've got lots of different people, you know, Jewish, Christian, Catholic, Muslim, uh, and a few others I can't remember. But one of the speakers was from St. Philip's. And, you know, I'm pretty nervous about the timeline. We have so many speakers, and we're trying to get it in, and he gives a great talk, and everybody's just smiling and so happy, and, and he doesn't come down off the podium. I said, Lord, why did they ask him? And so he pulls out his cell phone, and he says, everybody take out your cell phone and find somebody in this room that you don't know. Well, I found a friend, Pakistani-American Muslim, third-generation Pakistani-American. We became friends. We've had lunch together. He invited me to his uh, son's wedding 
in Atlanta in the heights of the pandemic. So the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Just say that with me. I'll say the first part. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his way. Amen on that. So, I've, I've been truly blessed in my life. And I'd like to take full credit for being able to become a doctor and do all those things, but I can't take that credit. That credit goes to the man above who's directed my steps. I urge each and every one of you to use those gifts that you have. A lot of you are retirees, and so use those talents that God gave you to to move forward and to help your neighbors. So join me one last time in saying Proverbs 16, 9. The man of man, mind of man, plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So if you'll join me in prayer. God, continue to bless each of us with the wisdom to accept the directions you're giving us and give us the wisdom to do those tasks to glorify you. Amen, and thank you.